plus drying time. Okay, so there's a spot of rain, gale force winds, and a super long walk. But I got us here, didn't I? And Mary, Wollstonecraft Godwin, soon to be Shelley, screamed in your face. Quality historical experience, that gold. This is the Doctor Who podcast, and you are most welcome. Geneva, 1816, it's the Doctor Who Podcast, episode 308, with James. Hello, James. <laughs> Hello, Drew. Hello, everybody. How you doing? I'm doing really well. I just sat through a really good episode of Doctor Who, so I'm pleased as punch to talk about it. <laughs> oh, did I play my hand too soon? Far I'll... too soon. Now, I'm what, recording for five seconds, and uh, you, you've already... Well, I won't use the metaphor that came to mind. You've shown your hand. I've already shown my hand. <laughs> There it is, it's crawling through the hallway. But yes, listeners, you are hearing correctly, Drew and I, after nearly nearly a year of bringing the Doctor Who podcast back, are recording together, not actually in Lake Geneva. Well, I'm in Lake Geneva a week from now, as I normally do my week late reviews. I've just travelled back from the future via <laughs> Cyberman Uplink to bring you this podcast today. I, I suppose, I suppose we should dispense with a preamble and uh, and stop delaying the inevitable you clearly enjoyed this episode i did and i think it's safe to say that this episode had everything to lose in my opinion i i knew early on that something like this was going to happen sometime in the season that being um taking place in 1816 involving mary shelley and and this famous mm. um this this summer of darkness or whatever it's called and this time period I really like. It's writers and artists I'm very much enamored with. And so I, ha- I felt this one had a lot to lose. And I was really concerned that it was going to fall flat. And it did not. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Well, it, it sounds as though you almost went into this with a, a, a little bit of foreknowledge of, of what the episode was going to be about. For, for, for me... The limit was Frankenstein. That's all I knew. And I wasn't even certain whether it was going to feature Frankenstein's monster or whether it was a story about Mary Shelley. And uh, I suppose, really, apart from the very obvious metaphor of uh, the Cybermen and for Frankenstein, it didn't really didn't really touch either. No, not so much. Sadly, social media does not like to hold on to secrets. <laughs> and uh, really early on in the season, someone... Spoil. I don't even know who it was or in what context, but they spoiled that Mary Shelley was going to be in an episode. So as soon right. as last episode ended with them saying they were going to talk about Frankenstein, and, and, and just to my cards on the table, there were really two events in history that I really wanted to see on Doctor Who, one being the Christmas truce from World War One, and the other one being this <laughs> summer in which Frankenstein was written. They're two of my favorite moments in history, and Every time we would do a panel at a Doctor Who convention and someone said, oh, when would you like to see the Doctor? It was always those two. So now I have to come up with new time periods <laughs> to be excited else. about because they've done both of them. 
Well, fascinating. Now, Big Finish, of course, has actually had Mary Shelley as a companion. So uh, I, I can see some of the authors desperately trying to figure out how to link the already <laughs> quite old set of Paul McGann stories uh, in, in with this one. But yeah, I mean, in, in, in terms of what I thought of this story, I have to say I was extremely underwhelmed. Oh, no. And I know. And, and it's strange, really, because I... I it, it really has all of the ingredients for what I like about Doctor Who. I've always been really keen on the slightly horrific ones, and even going back as far as Tom Baker, the kind of dark single location, you know, as, as this was for the majority of the episode. You know, it's a haunted house. The whole atmosphere that you get with ghost light, the claustrophobia of Castrovalva, and you know, this this um, this had everything. And yet, the first twenty minutes, I was bored oh i i just felt that the whole premise for them being there didn't really work it was oh they just turned up and asked to come in so they said okay come in and within five minutes they're dancing with them and that for me was more strange than the alien menace (laughs) (laughs) the remainder of it i was intrigued by and it certainly improved over the over the 50 minutes for me Uh, I had absolutely no idea there was going to be the lone Cyberman appearing in this story. That really did have an impact, I'll say that much. And I think the Cyberman itself was very, very horrific. Uh, It was a scary Cyberman. And uh, the remainder of it, I have to say, I found slightly convoluted. And I'm still not 100% certain whether I enjoyed it. I think it's interesting is I think I enjoyed the parts you disliked more than the parts that you liked in huh. that I knew exactly what to expect from the doctor and company showing up uh, during during any any event featuring Lord Byron uh, we were gonna get um, uh, a lot of uh, flirty eyes and uh, innuendo and a lot of being hit on and I was not disappointed by that you do any kind of research into what was happening at that time they were very liberal and progressive, those folks. I was kind of expecting more of a, a Witchfinders vibe, too, and having um, someone flirting with uh, Ryan a little bit more so than actually happened, but that's okay. Since um, when did he get so good at flirting? Oh, I was quite impressed by his style this week, I have to say. <laughs> I think he was doing less flirting and more simply just being truthful and honest, and I, it definitely felt like he was less crushing on Mary Shelley and more just kind of being he was. I, I will say this. I thought more so than any other episode this season, the acting really appealed to me. I mm. felt that I was in a period piece. I felt that Whitaker was given possibly some of the best dialogue that she's had. She really rose to the occasion for me. Um, mm. We still had a, a moment or two of exposition, which is something that I'm not really enjoying out of this uh, this season or, or just kind of her era in that she feels like she needs to exposit for two minutes to explain to the audience what's happening so you know explaining the manipulation of the energy fields to recharge um, in some sort of time vortex thing Uh, okay whatever i know what you mean i mean there was at least two or three info dumps in this episode and it's it 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 was slightly more than has been in previous episodes summaries of the plot you know and uh i wouldn't have been surprised if next week had been called exposition of the cybermen (laughs) well 
knowing that Frankenstein was going to be a motif, you, I and knowing that there was a lone Cyberman er, uh, mentioned earlier in the series, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. There was no way that this was not the episode. But what I was not expecting was that it was going to be tying into what I can only assume is the resolution of at least one or two of the plot points for this yes, series. Yes. I would have personally preferred this to be a standalone because I think the inclusion of the Cyberman felt like it took away from the atmosphere of what I was enjoying from the episode, but that's just me. I, I came at this wanting more of what they were already giving me, and as soon as the Cybermen showed up, I kind of went... Oh, right, Doctor Who. Um, and I still enjoyed it. I, I'm very curious as to see what happens over the next two episodes, or, you know, who knows? It might be resolved in the next episode. It seems like it would be a bit of a cheat, uh, but we'll see. I, I'll be surprised. I, I think you're right, and I think there's a, just a couple of storylines that are progressing, if not to resolution, that, that they're moving forwards. And I, I think, you know, in the past, certainly in previous eras, where these hairs have been set running, it, you know, the arcs have spanned years. Um, and I think that's been a source of frustration for anyone other than the absolutely most dedicated viewer <laughs> of, of, of Doctor Who. I don't think Chibnall's doing that. And I, I, no. I think, you know, a, a lot of the comments that he's been making to, to the media over the last fortnight or so are almost certainly misdirections and saying, no, you're not going to get anything on the Timeless Child and, and so on. I had absolutely no idea the Cyberman was going to appear this episode. I assume you didn't either. That was a surprise to you? Um, I mean, the moment they talked about it being involving... Frankenstein, I knew the, the lone Cyberman was going to show up. It would be a missed opportunity if you bring in, you know, this half-man, half-monster that's powered by electricity. Like, if they didn't, <laughs> I would have been disappointed, I, I think. You know, maybe if maybe if it shown up at the very, very end. Uh, oh, oh, no, no, it was going to mm. be in it. I mean, I, I just, I just assumed enough. it was going to happen. Well, that, that I certainly didn't get. And uh, I, I, I suppose the metaphor is obvious. Um, and I've heard it before as well. But for some reason, it just didn't didn't twig for me until mm. until the scene um, was in front of me on the on the television screen. What, what I thought was interesting as well about the tone of the, the story, and it, it ties into something you just said, you know, just when you got comfortable with the period drama slightly, you know, dabbling in the macabre, horror elements that we've seen in Doctor Who um, before it it then took that left turn and, and the Cyberman's arrival like you say brings you back to to the fact that you're watching a sci-fi show or at least Doctor Who and that's something I found quite common in this season the tone just takes left turns and I say this season it happened last year as well or in season 11 in particular if you look at it takes you away. You, you go from the sublime to the ridiculous, sure, but you also go from totally a fantastical environment akin to Lord of the Rings through to alternative universes and then some kind of big, long exposition that is based purely in, in the world of sci-fi. And uh, I, I like the fact that Doctor Who blend genres sometimes several times inside of 40 minutes 45 minutes I think that's great but I do have trouble keeping up sometimes and uh, I think today was certainly one of those occasions and and, and by the end of the episode I, I was a little bit perplexed I still still don't quite know what what happened exactly i i'm sure i'll figure it out and it is something that i'm interested in figuring out and and certainly in the past i've been confused by stories that i've just got no interest in so that's that's a good thing 
It's just the actual stories that I have slight difficulty with. I think they are so different to previous eras and I'm I've still not acclimatized yet and that's partially because I'm stuck in my ways and an old traditional Doctor Who fan for for sure but also because I'm not, I'm not warming to it as as easily as I have other eras and uh, I, I watched the long game yesterday with my my daughter and was absolutely blown away by it because my my memory was was so incorrect and yet I enjoyed that kind of Doctor Who much, much more. Um, and I'm not sure whether it says something about me, not liking things progressing and evolving. That's not been true over the past 20, 30 years I've watched the show. Or whether it's just this incarnation or this iteration of the show is is not really for me. I've, um, I'm still figuring it out. Well, I'm always bummed when someone says that you know, they're not enjoying Doctor Who. But I think it's it's safe to say that you know, if you don't like Doctor Who, wait three years, it'll change. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, yes, I, yes. I've heard people uh, be really upset by the fact that we get some pretty prominent messages uh, at the ends of episodes, and sometimes they're they're handled better than, than others. But, you know, there were, sure, there were folks who, um, during Baker's run, didn't like, you know, that whole season was all gothic horror, really didn't enjoy that. I want funny hmm. Doctor Who, or, <clears throat> you know, so on and so forth. I mean, there's there's things I would love to see in Doctor Who that I'm not getting, but I'm also just kind of enjoying living in that moment. And I will say that I'm enjoying this series better than the last series. And I yeah, think yeah. if uh, the last couple of stories is an indicator of where this uh, Chibnall as a showrunner is going, I am a lot more hopeful than I was at the end of uh, Series 11. Yeah, yeah. No, I am too. And and don't get me wrong, context is everything. I would still rather watch Doctor Who that I don't enjoy as much than almost any other television program. So perspective is 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 key. Sure. And uh, absolutely fully aware of the fact that things will change and swing again and that may well be more in line with the stuff that I have traditionally liked and enjoyed far more. But um, but yeah, I mean, g- going back to, to this episode, I mean, talk about gothic horror. I mean, we, we had, uh, you know, a, a skeleton baby in a crib here. Uh, we had a <laughs> Cyberman holding a baby or cradling a baby, which just kind of feels wrong. <laughs> right. Uh, but of course, that's the, that's the kind of impact that it did have on me, uh, rather than the overall story, that, you know, which kind of left me a bit cold. But lo- lots of moments within this episode gave me chills. Yeah, I think um, this is uh, Maxine Alderton is the writer and, and Emma Sullivan was the director. And I think both did uh, just a superlative job. I felt this was a very atmospheric story. And I think yeah. there's a couple of things going on with the story that, that you don't really fully get to appreciate until the story is done. And that is the gothic aspect of it. Um, I love that you you know use that term gothic because what uh, if you haven't seen the 1986 Ken Russell film Gothic, which is about these this group of individuals uh, and creating the horror stories that they did, um, certainly this is an episode of Doctor Who that should inspire you to do a little bit more research if you're not familiar with it, because hmm. the movie is weird, um, and this episode had some things in common, especially animated body parts and strange visions. Um, I like a good mystery, but I also like a mystery that... Um, is explained, and I feel that 80% of the mystery was explained, and that's more than I normally get with Doctor Who, uh, so I feel like it did stick <laughs> yeah. the landing with that. I did understand what was going on. Well, I understood 
what was going on after it told me what was going on. Like, I was like, okay, that makes sense. I like the explanation of what <clears throat> our main apparition was uh, in the sense that it was a out-of-phase uh, Shelly. I thought that was really cool. I mean, yes, mm-hmm. it reminded me of Hyde, and in some ways Hyde did those aspects better, but uh, in the same way that Hyde has a change of story right towards the end, well, so did this. And I, I appreciated both. Um, I think if Hyde hadn't existed, I probably wouldn't have caught on to what was happening quite as fast, but I still dug it. You're going back to the, the Matt Smith haunted house story, I suppose, Correct. and I have to say I hadn't given that a great deal of thought until you until you mentioned it, but I can certainly see some similarities in terms of the tone. Um, one question I did want to ask you, and I'm, I'm not sure whether this was resolved in the episode or not, the ghosts, inverted commas, ghosts that Graham saw... Was there a resolution? No, absolutely not. And if they ever, ever bother to explain it, I'll be super bummed because that is how you... I feel like that, in in a way, is um, Maxine Alderton going, all right, we understand that I'm making a ghost story, and I want to write a ghost story, but it has to be a science fiction story because it's Doctor Who. See, Doctor Who doesn't do supernatural. (laughs) The only thing supernatural they're allowed to do is psychic. Psychic phenomenon is the only allowable supernatural force you know we have psychic paper which should by itself goes against science fiction but you know needless to say so the fact that we have that moment where it's like oh yes everything's been wrapped up (gasps) but wait graham ate a ghost sandwich i love that i love that because you don't have to explain that it never has to be explained it's that's what makes a ghost story a ghost story I generally do not like anything just left up in the air, particularly in Doctor Who. Um, Having said that, you're right. I think there is a definite move towards uh, a slightly more fantastical feel. I mean, mean, Doctor Who has veered, I think, into into magic in the past. Uh, Certainly some fantasy elements. Um, I mean, if you look at just The Return of the Master in uh, The End of Time, that was straight out of Harry Potter. That was simply just a a magic potion uh, brought him back to life. And whilst this was, you know, on the face of it, a ghost story, I'm not sure whether or not they would have just included some characters that, you know, not just weren't explained, but appear to have absolutely no purpose in the story other than to make you and I have conversations like this <laughs> and so. that's fine because they don't they don't have any play into the resolution of the story so it's not like them showing up did anything other than be a slight red herring now if you wanted an explanation we could say that um the whatever the the little mercury bubble is traveling through time created a time ripple mm, and yeah. allowed us to view instances of previous owners or uh, tenants of the house in another time they could have thrown that out there and been like oh fine that's all it was but then it's no longer a ghost story because it's all been explained and this is a ghost story that's the whole point like we are st- what the doctor wants to bring the fam into is an evening a, a kind of a glimpse into the creation of science fiction i mean you know don't get me wrong mary shelley is the is the mother of science fiction with frankenstein mm-hmm. um but it, it did start off to be horror and if you don't if you explain away everything it's no longer a ghost story i think everyone's acting was so good 
we are having this conversation no more than five minutes after I finish watching the episode. So I haven't gotten really a chance to look through and find out what the actors are. I'd love to be able to name check them so, you know, to tell them how much I appreciate it. But the gentleman who played the valet, who who played uh, Fletcher. Fletcher. Those eye rolls. He was so good. I mean. (laughs) Wasn't he? It's it. It bums me out that it's only the help that gets murdered in this rather than, you know, there's a there's certain a class issue in that. Not something I want to stress on, but, you know, it's, it is a, a bit of a bummer. But I would like, before we run out of time, just to draw this comparison, right? So we have had two members of Byron's family in Doctor Who this series, right? Mm. Because we have mm. Ada Lovelace in the second episode. So is that just a random occurrence? Or are we going to have, is that family involved in a larger plot? Because if it's just a random occurrence, there's a dangling thread that will annoy me. It, it, it's too much to be a coincidence. How could you have two characters of the same family? I mean, that's the father and daughter, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you wouldn't even acknowledge it i i'm surprised the doctor or the characters didn't acknowledge it uh in in this story as well it's a bit of an obscure link if you like and i think it will need to be explained quite simply i don't think people will automatically know that there is a connection between those two characters Mm. but we'll uh We'll see. Um, I, I, I wanted to ask you one final question as well. And uh, again, just something that jumped out at me. And and I don't think it particularly made the story any better or any worse. It was just there. Um, what do you think of this newfound ability Time Lords have to reaching into people's minds to experience their, their past? Well, I mean, it's... The Doctor has so many weird... I mean, how do you feel about the Doctor being able to erase memories? Uh, yeah. How do you, well, and well, how why do you didn't feel about she? the doctor being able to <laughs> tap in and seeing what the future of the Earth is going to be like and knowing that mm. fixed point in times have remained fixed? Do you know how Byron die or Shelley dies? You know, like if you know that, you know that the drowning takes place, then it's kind of an interesting thing. If you're not familiar with that, the doctor could have easily tricked the mind into thinking it was dying, thus ejecting the host and problem solved. So... I think what's more problematic is if the doctor can, you know, just put her hands on your head and show Mm. you when you're going to die, then she's never going to lose another companion, right? She would know that ahead of time. Yep. This is something that the story needed. Yeah, I think it becomes a little bit, it muddies the waters because it, it invites a little bit too much investigation that it's not willing to provide answers for. I have absolutely no issue whatsoever with Time Lords having qualities that we have yet to see. That's what makes the story a little more exciting. What I do have difficulty with is when we find out about them when the plot demands uh, a solution. And that's happened on a couple of occasions and that's resulted in inconsistencies this season with mind wipes not taking place when they probably should (laughs) when you consider the circumstances and for them to be taking place when is not really necessary because, again, it's never really been established before. So I, I'm not asking for, you know, deep, for everything to make sense and for everything to be consistent. I'd be slightly bonkers to do that, given the way Doctor Who has been fluid with its uh, its continuity over the past 50-odd years. But <laughs> But within the same season, within a few episodes... 
it might not be too much to ask uh, for a little bit more. And perhaps this is one of the downsides to having a, a, a writer's room. Perhaps these things don't get discussed as uh, as much as we would expect or possibly think they, they would. I think the other thing way to look at this is if a television show that I don't care about does something like this, I just wave my hands and move on. But yeah. you and I both care very much about Doctor Who. And so when it pulls something like this, it does become problematic because we care that much you know there's reasons why we don't like certain seasons because we care about the show and we feel like it deserves better uh i think the average viewer isn't even going to tick on this i don't think it's gonna even register that that's a problem uh yes i agree i wish it hadn't been included and there was a different way around it but I'm just going to wave my hands and move on to next week's episode. Well, folks, since I am taking part in the actual live version of this review, uh, it wouldn't make much sense for me to give you a review of last week's review. (laughs) But luckily for us, Adam is here to take my place. That's right. Adam is going to join us to discuss Can You Hear Me and Praxius. So in a way, he's a Two week late review. Well done, Absolutely. Adam. <laughs> Worse than you, Drew, for sure. Well, that's. I, I find. Uh, I feel like challenge is accepted. <laughs> Tune in next week when I review <laughs> the woman who fell to earth. No, um, <laughs> unearthly child. I think. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Hello, all. I'm here to talk about praxis, and can you hear me? I enjoyed both the episodes, but for quite different reasons. With Praxius, I think it was good that all the TARDIS team got something to do. It was good seeing them separated off and having different storylines that then knitted back together to pull the whole story as one. The TARDIS, I do feel at the moment, is a little bit crowded, so it was good that they all had their own individual adventures. It was also really nice to see some real-world science in Doctor Who. Bacteria have recently been discovered that can digest plastics, and I think science fiction is always at its best when it pulls real-world science through and twists it and bends it, stretches it to that future conclusion. And I think that's what we had here. The message of single-use plastics and pollution was really front and centre in the episode, but I think there was another message in there that was a little more hidden and how I prefer my messages woven into the story. Molly Harris played the character of Suki Cheng, the scientist who was from an alien planet where where her population had been ravaged by this infection and she had come to Earth and was testing on humans to try and find a cure. I think there was a strong animal testing message there as well. The uh, indignation of everybody when it was found out that she was testing on the human population whereas the human population tests on animals for medical cures every day. The animatronic bird that we saw in the episode was not a strong point. It did remind me a great deal of the cat in survival, and fortunately, this bird was used quite a bit less. I think they realised they didn't have a winner on their hands and kept it at a, at a distance and from behind. Which is quite different to the effect that we saw of finger splitting in Can You Hear Me? That animation worked really well, and it was a great bit of special effects. And they used it a lot. Which, which I don't mind. They've paid for the effect. It works. Why not use it? Can You Hear Me was a really creepy story. And I'm sure there are some children out there that had sleepless nights. 
I'm a big believer in that, that family television and television orientated towards younger people should have a good bit of fear in it every now and again. There were aspects of Can You Hear Me that I didn't like so much. The sonic screwdriver being launched out of the pocket I thought was a little woeful and uh, left me wishing for a different resolution. But I really enjoyed the sci-fi story. The, uh, the, the eternal beings that need to entertain themselves. The animated sequence we saw within the episode telling the story of the the eternal godlike beings was really good. Nice to see something different being done in Doctor Who. I thought that, that as, as it did in the Deathly Hallows, worked in a really strong way to, as a bit of exposition, but rather than just being it to camera, it was just delivered in a slightly different way that I think worked. But the messages in Can You Hear Me were really important. And as with television aimed at, at younger people, having that element of fear and scare in it, I think it's also important that we can deliver messages that, that allow them to have the tools they need to then cope with life. And the idea of talking to somebody, if you need to, is a really strong message. And I don't think people can hear that at a young enough age. So yes, I'm really glad that was there. But the scare and the fear of Can You Hear Me was um, where it was strong for me. I also enjoyed the the flip of the, the godlike being trapped inside the, the orb that she was deemed as being someone to rescue rather than the protagonist of villainy. So I thought that was a, a nice flip as well. All in all, two strong episodes. I think the series as a whole has been strong so far. Some of the messages have been a little bit too on the nose and they could weave them through um, within the plot a little bit more and let us make our own resolution rather than directly telling us what we should be taking from the story. It could be delivered a little bit better, but if it's there, so be it. I'm hoping for a strong two-part finale. I do like the Cybermen, so I'm looking forward to seeing those return. Okay, take care all. See you again. Bye. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed, Adam. And uh, again, I'm not sure it was particularly clear there, but Adam mentioned a couple of occasions where he was considering these episodes through the eyes of a much younger audience. And that's because he's a secondary school teacher. He didn't mention it exactly <laughs> uh, during his review. But I'm just wondering, I mean, how much fun it must be. I mean, you're, you're a children's librarian, Drew. You've mentioned that on the show before. Um, to, to what degree or how much fun is it just watching the younger audience watch our favourite show and enjoy it? I, I mean, does that give you a different perspective on the show, I wonder? It does. Um, not only am I a children's librarian, but I have 13 godchildren. Um, quite a few 13. of them are not old enough to watch Doctor Who, but I have introduced almost all of the other ones to, and I have tailored their first viewing um, specifically to that child. Uh, so I do, every time I watch an episode, in fact, I think I even mentioned... Um, can you hear me, that I didn't think it would be, not appropriate for children, but I, I was curious as to how they would take it. Um, so yeah, every time I watch an episode of Doctor Who, I'm, I, I'm definitely considering my godchildren mm. and the younger viewing audience as to how they might perceive it. I, you see, I, I, I don't. I'm a very selfish individual, and uh, therefore I consider what I think of it first and foremost, and then I'll think about what other people think, perhaps. Um, the, the one exception to that is is my daughter, who's who's 11 now, and um, she told me during the week she wasn't going to watch Doctor Who anymore, and uh, she um, she's watched every single episode this season, 
And I, I noticed last week she was getting antsy and I did say to her, look, you don't have to watch this with me, you know. It's not something that is is required. You're not going to get into trouble if you, can, <laughs> if, if you go and do something else. And she looked at me and she thought about it. But she did watch this, but this was very, very much doing me a favour as opposed to enjoying the episode. And it just had very little impact on her. Mm. Um, and I, I tried to not be disappointed when a show that I love is is not really enjoyed or valued by by my daughter and uh, you know I, I get an amazing you know some some strange reason it feels great when she laughed at a burping wheelie bin in Rose and the Slovene were wonderful so all and the pirate one uh, <laughs> Curse of the Black Spot she loved so all of the episodes that I had problems with she really enjoyed and I take real heart in seeing the younger generation enjoy Doctor Who in a very different way to me. Um, and uh, I, I, it just had the opposite impact tonight. It made me feel a bit, hmm. She, she does kind of like the idea of the Cybermen. She's, she's into horror and she's into mystery. So she's told me she's going to watch next week and hopefully she will, uh, she will contribute her thoughts on the, on the show. But uh, when she... Um, when she gets talking, she's worse than me, Drew. So that could end up resulting in a much longer podcast if we put her comments <laughs> on the DWP. It could be fun. Could be fun. Uh, absolutely. Love to hear it. So those were our thoughts on the haunting of Villa Diodante. Tell us what you thought. And get in touch with us. Feedback at the com. You can get in touch with us at the DR podcast on Twitter. It's important to remember the the, everyone. Uh, and of course the most popular uh, option on Facebook. So yeah, let us know what you thought. We didn't even mention the fact that Yaz may have been talking about crushing on the doctor, so that is certainly something to be discussed. Uh, I look forward to hearing the comments. Wonderful. Yes, Drew, thank you very much indeed. Uh, it's, it's great to finally record with you, and we must do it again, hopefully not... Uh... Well, hopefully before another year passes at the very least. And we'll but, have uh, to do it in the, sometime in the next two episodes because apparently we're not getting more Doctor Who for over a year. Oh, well, we'll have to find something else to talk about. We'll have to go back into the 1960s or 70s and discuss these animated Doctor Whos, which are the closest thing to new Doctor Who we're getting in the absence of, uh, of brand new episodes. But listeners, thank you very much indeed for joining us for episode 308 of the Doctor Who podcast. Join us next week when we are discussing more Cybermen and their rise, or ascension, or genesis. Okay, cool. Bye for now, everyone. Take care, everyone.
pronounce this episode um so it's the haunting of the villa diodante right yeah i yeah, think yeah. We, we've done really well we've got away uh, we, we've recorded for half an hour i've not had to say the title of the episode <laughs> once <laughs> that is quite an achievement well at least it's not the battle of yada yada yada, yada. forget it okay. can't do it okay so i'll i'll let me okay so 